thanks for being here. We're going to get started. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 4 is where we're going to be going. If you notice in your bulletins, we have some, something laid out for you. Um, every, every week, we do something in the bulletin. It's, a, it's an insert that gives you a space to be able to take notes. Not only take notes, but on the back side of the bulletin, you all, or on the back side of that insert, you're also going to find uh, devotionals. And those devotionals are every day, it's verses, to heighten and to encourage you on what you, you heard about this week. And it doesn't take long to read those devotions. Those are real quick. Those are easy. It gives you a verse. And just to expand it, if you want a little bit more expanded version on my blog, heathmarion.com, I, I post those every, every day so that way you can have it in a more expanded version. So that way it helps keep you um, working through what you heard today so that way you can grow. Because spirituality, we know, doesn't happen in a one-time setting. It happens daily. It's a daily process to be growing in your spiritual walk with God. And so we want to make sure that we're coming alongside you. Also, we put down at the very bottom a a verse. And that verse allows you to say, this is a verse that, it's a memory verse, something that we're committing to put God's word in our own hearts. And so we put that memory verse in there. Also, if you open up that insert, you'll also find a lot lot of questions. Those questions are designed for the home groups so that the home groups are able to walk through those. If you are involved in a home group, um, this is a fantastic way just to stay on top of. Your main preparation is just showing up and attending service, which is very helpful, makes it a lot easier. And then you end up going through those questions to really make sure you dive into it, to really understand it. And so this is a great way to work through it. I'm going to also put out something right now at this moment. If there's, we're praying for in the, in the, in the fall, we're praying for some new home group leaders. We need some new home group leaders. Now, here's the reality. Sometimes there's a pushback immediately. I don't know enough about the Bible. I can't do it. And I just want to encourage you. If you can listen to a message and you can read questions, you could facilitate a home group because we've already provided all the resources for you in that bulletin insert. You can lead a home group. You can do this. All you have to have is a willing heart and you actually have to like people. If you don't like people, we don't want you being a home group leader, all right? But if you like people, we do want you to consider, pray about it, see if God puts it on your heart. We're looking for some new leaders, and uh, we're wanting to make sure we get people uh, plugged in for the fall, all right? So that's why that insert's always there. I've even had people say, hey, pastor, and we're not really in a home group right now, but we're taking these questions and we're working through them um, as a couple when we get home. Or I've had some other people say, I'm just working through them during the week to make sure that I I really understand and fully fleshing it out. And so hopefully that helps you in your application to really... uh, just drill down deep and really gain what you need out of this, these lessons that we're walking through. Now, we're going to get started here. Every, every week, people send me emails, and they, they pass on humorous uh, quotes or even uh, funny emails that they get. And so this came from somebody, and I thought this was appropriate for um, a teaching series on parenting. And so here's what it, uh, it says. It's talking about a first-grade teacher. She asked her kids to finish Famous statements, all right? Finish famous statements, and you might be able to do it, but I will give you after, um, I'll give you what the, the kid, the first grader actually said. So you ready? See if you can finish this one. It's better, better be safe than to punch a fifth grader. Strike while the bug is close. <laughs> Strike while the bug is close. That's pretty good. It's always darkest before the Daylight savings time. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't. But how? 
That was how she answered it. But how, how do you lead a horse? <laughs> how do you lead a horse? All right, don't bite the hand that looks dirty. <laughs> a miss is as good as a mister. <laughs> if you lie down with the dogs, you'll stink in the morning. The pen is mightier than the pigs. The pen is mightier than the pigs. <laughs> An idle mind is the devil's workshop, right? The idle mind is the best way to relax. A penny saved is not much. <laughs> Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. <laughs> very good. That's very helpful, right? Proverbs chapter four. Here's what we have. We're talking through the heart of parenting. Why do we have to go after the heart? Why is the heart so important? The heart is the seat, is what we're gonna find in just a minute. Everything is going to happen out of the heart. And Jesus even heightens in our awareness of why the heart's important. And what your job and my job is as a parent and even as grandparents. So if you're in the room, you're going, hey, I'm a grandparent. I'm out on this. No, this is message is just for you as it is for the parents. Because if you're alive and there's kids around you in the neighborhood, your job is to go after kids and go after their hearts. And what we're wanting to do is understand why the heart is so central and why the heart is so important. So here's what we have. Proverbs chapter four, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. We're looking at one verse and then we'll be looking at several others in just a moment. We stand for the reading of God's word because it, it heightens our awareness that we're coming into the presence of God. We're asking for God to speak to us. We're not looking for just Heath's words. We're looking for God's words to us at this moment. And so this is what the word of God says. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, and I am so amazed at your power and your grace and your goodness. God, we come into your presence. I pray that the songs have ministered to our lives and into our hearts. God, I pray that as we sing from a heart of worship, that God, the sound of our, our voices and our souls crying out to you has been a sweet, sweet sound. And Father, now I'm asking that you would move in such an incredible way that, God, you would speak into our lives, that, God, you would give us the ears to hear, and that, God, you would allow us to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here a changed people. In Jesus' precious, precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. So here's what we have. We want to go after our kids' hearts. Why do we want to go after our hearts? Proverbs says this, that the heart is central to keep it with all diligence, to keep it with all vigilance, to actually work hard at keeping your heart. Why? Because everything flows out of the hearts, the actions, the words, the, the, the things that you do or you don't do, the attitude all comes from the heart. Jesus in the New Testament took it one step further and he talks about the words before out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. So before your teenage son or your teenage daughter rolls his or her eyes, we know that it actually came from the heart attitude. And what we're wanting to do is this. We need to begin to go after the heart and to begin to learn how to set the direction for the heart. We talked about the importance last week, and today we're talking about how do you guide, set the direction, and motivate the heart to go 
where God is calling it and not to their own agendas. Now, I'll be honest, it almost sounds like manipulation, doesn't it? How do I manipulate my kids' hearts? No, that's not what we're talking about. What we're working towards is how do you guide and direct? Can you force a 25-year-old child to do what you want? No. Can you force a 16-year-old child to do what you want? (laughs) Probably not. I mean, there's some consequences, but there's not much you can do at that point. So what we really wanna do is we need to learn, first and foremost, how to set the child's heart early in the preschool years into the elementary years so that it begins to lay the groundwork for the teenage years. And yes, you can still go after your child's heart even if they're out of the home. Even if you're a grandparent today, you can, and go, at, you can go after the heart. So here's what we need to do. We need to, first of all, make sure we understand, can you control the heart? Can you control the heart? Can you control the way you feel? If you remember back when we started talking about our, in our marriage series, we talked about love and how that Jesus commands the heart to love. We talk about love as in, hey, I fell into love, I fell out of love, I can't really control how my heart is, but Jesus commands us to do what? To love, to love one another, to love people even when we don't like them, that we are to even be kind to our enemies, to pray for our enemies, to serve our enemies, to love people, So the definition that we had to look at in the New Testament is that love was more than just a feeling, that love was a action. You remember that? That love's an action in which we put it into play, where we control, and when we begin to love, pray, serve, care for, then what happens to our heart? Our heart begins to follow the actions. We don't want to be generous people. Even in our money series, we talked about it this year. We don't really want to be generous. Generosity is not something we want because we feel like we have to hang on to it. It's ours. But when we begin to be generous, what begins to happen is this. Our heart begins to follow our treasures and wherever our money goes, there goes our heart. So your heart always follows the actions. And so what we need to do is this. We need to learn as parents, as grandparents, even as young married couples, when you are starting to think about having kids, what do you do? How do you go after the heart? Because it's your job, it's my job to set the direction of my kids' hearts. So how do you do it? Can you do it? Is there a method to the madness? There is. I wanna show you, we're gonna start off with the first point. The first point is this. You set the direction of your child's heart by understanding the desires of their heart. The desires of their heart We spent a long time in a series just a while back called American Idol, the new American Idol. And the reason I wanted to spend so much time and work through this is this, that as an adult, as a man or woman walking around, you have a heart and that heart's desire goes after whatever you want and you find fulfillment and satisfaction in other areas than God. And what's so important is this, is that your kids even at two years old, guess what they have? They have a heart and it has desires and it has longings and cravings and they want what they want. Even a little baby knows what it wants and even begins to learn how to manipulate you by crying longer just to get you to do what they want. Teenagers know what they want They have desires, they have hearts that are craving. They want fulfillment, they want satisfaction. And because they have longings and desires, they're willing to do whatever it takes to find fulfillment and satisfaction. 
Your kids have a heart just like you. A heart that longs for love, affection, attention, that looks for and it goes after time, that goes after for meaning and purpose, to make sure that, hey, do I fit into this family? Where do I fit into this family? What is going on? They're looking for and they're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction, and that's our heart's craving. And what we just got through singing is this, Jesus be my vision, why? Because he's the only thing that's gonna satisfy our souls. He's the only thing. But look what we do. Look, go down to Jeremiah. I have it, we're gonna put it up here, I think. Jeremiah chapter two and verse 13, here's what it says. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fount of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Your kids, as precious as they are, your grandkids, as precious as they are, they look for fulfillment and satisfaction, and they're willing to go after it and to get it in any way they can. So if that means if I have to be popular, I'll do whatever it takes to be popular. If I have to be on this sports team so my dad likes me more, I'll be on the sports team, although I hate doing it. They'll go after to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction. They're willing to go after it. James even takes it to another level and he says, okay, here's the way your desires work. In James chapter one, he says, this is how you find fulfillment. James chapter one, go down to verse 13. Here's what it says. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God's, God's just out to get me. Don't, you can't say that. You can't say that God's doing it. Why? Because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. And then look what it says. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's lured away and enticed by his own, what? Desires. Your kids have desires. And most often what we do is this. We see their wrong behavior and we go after their behavior and we try to change their behavior and we never talk about their heart's desires. And we never talk about what they're longing for. We just say no and it stops at, hey, because I'm your father, I said no, that's it. And we never walk them through their heart's desires and what's going after, what's happening. Their heart is controlling their actions. And here's what we need to begin to understand and look at. Every age, it's the desires, it's the heart. And it's your job and my job to know those desires, to begin pointing those desires towards God and not just trying to change their behavior. Did you catch that? Because if you just try to change behavior, you'll miss pointing them to God. Let me give you an illustration of how this works. It's desires. So if my kids are only tempted by what they desire, then there's a good chance that they're not gonna desire alcohol at this point because my kids are in elementary school, right? It's not gonna be a desire for them. But as my kids get older and get into preteen years and teenage years, if their sole desire is popularity and that they need, they need people to like them, then I have to be careful because now they're willing to do whatever it takes. My son, who's youngest, he's in kindergarten. He likes to be the class clown. Man, he loves to get people to laugh and he's willing to do whatever it takes to make people laugh. So he's gonna do something silly. He's gonna do something crazy. And he's, he's okay with it being the more crazy, the better. So with that desire, here's what I have to begin to understand. I have to say, son, what are you wanting? I don't know. He's in kindergarten. Heath, are you really having this conversation? Absolutely, I'm having the conversation. 
So then what do you want? And we make it simple. You just want people to laugh. Why do you want people to laugh? It's funny. And you start walking them through. And if I would say, just son, stop doing that. You're being dumb. I didn't move his heart and I didn't guide his heart. But if I start walking him through, why do you want people to laugh? Why well, I want people to like me. Why do I want people to like me? Uh, what's more important, doing what's right? Or, well, I don't know. What does God want you to do? And now you see how I'm starting to move the conversation toward God. Let me give you another illustration. Okay, so if, if, um, if one of my kids, I have a, a four kids, three daughters, one, one son, if one of my kids is very competitive, which I have several competitive kids, so if they're very competitive, even in second grade or fourth grade, even in seventh grade, if they're extremely competitive, one of the things that can happen very easily is because they desire to beat people and to win, when they get out onto a field or they get in competition, even in field day, when it's supposed to be just fun and playing, with that desire to compete, they're willing to run over, they're willing to cheat just a little bit, hello? They're willing to accidentally bump the other person. They're willing to get right on the line and even cross the line just to see if the judge is gonna call them out, right? So I have to walk them through, why do you want this so bad? If I say competition's bad, that's not good, is it? I haven't guided the heart. Hey, you can't do that, don't be mean to people. I haven't moved their heart towards God. What I need to do as a parent is this. I have to come back through it and understand their desire. The desire is to win, to be better. Why do you feel like you need to be better? Well, I have to prove myself. Why are you proving yourself? Why do you have to get better? And you're walking them through, and then you get to a point where you say, hey, do you realize that daddy loves you even if you don't win? That's a powerful moment. Hey, do you realize that God gave you that talent? Isn't that amazing? God gave you the talent to throw the ball. That's amazing that you can throw it so far. But it doesn't mean that God loves you any more or any less because you can throw a ball far. Do you see how freeing that begins? Because now I'm guiding the heart towards who? Towards God. My kids are gonna be only tempted with whatever they desire. So if I have a kid who desires good grades and they desire to excel in the academic world, one of their temptations is going to be to what? Cheat. And they need to understand their desire so that they can begin to say, why is cheating wrong? Is it cheating wrong just because dad said so or just because the teacher said so or just because there's a negative consequence? No. Cheating's wrong because God has created me with a mind to think. He's given me the ability to learn and watch this. And God is, enjoys the fact that I'm using my abilities for his glory. If I'm cheating, I'm not bringing glory to God. But when I learn and I study, then I'm able to bring God glory through my studies because I'm reflecting who he's made me to be. Do you see it? Your desires. You and I would do well if we would stop for just a moment and as you begin to look at your kids, no matter if they're preschool, no matter if they're in elementary school or they're in high school, college, wherever they're at, if you would stop for a moment and begin to work back through and say, what do my kids desire? If you would spend some time there, you would begin to understand their temptations. You begin to understand the idols of their heart and you can begin to guide them away from their idols so that they find fulfillment and satisfaction, not in things, but in him. What a great moment.
Let me show you the next one, all right? So it starts with, if you're going to guide your child's heart, it starts with understanding their idols and their desires. And then number two, what we have to begin to do is this. We need to understand that setting the direction of a child's heart, it requires discipline. Discipline can almost be a negative word, can't it? It's just, it's just a word that we don't like because we want everything right now. We want it our way. But look what Proverbs chapter 22. I'm going to show you a few verses out of Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says this. Train a child in the way he should go. What is training? Training is hard work, isn't it? Have you ever seen or watched just a documentary even on Olympic athletes or professional athletes and how hard they work and how many hours? They put hours in just, just, um, just learning how to run or just learning how to start a race. They put hours in how to finish a race. They put hours into training and development. Your job and mine as a parent, ready, is to train and to learn the discipline and the art of growing and developing your kids. That's tough, isn't it? Most parents, we feel like, hey, if I didn't screw up my kids, I did well. Hey, we didn't mess up today. We didn't really, you know, they didn't fall off and we didn't have to go to the hospital. We did great. But the goal is so much higher is that today you are to train, today you are to develop. In what way? Your way? In the way that he should go or she should go is in God's way. Moving him towards God's direction. And then look what it says. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Do you realize the foundation that you're laying when you're pointing them towards God in the elementary years, in the preschool years, the teen years? It's the same things as you put it into their hearts, you put God's word into their lives early on. When they get older, it's the Holy Spirit that will bring those things back. And if you have a prodigal son or daughter, and there's a good chance you do, and if you have one, and they're out there running, if you put God's word into their heart, the promise is, is that it's the Holy Spirit's job to be bringing that up and to be convicting and working in their lives as they're out and away. Training, being disciplined. Look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. He takes it to another step, and he says, now we need to incorporate consequences. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Children are silly, aren't they? They're going to try very silly things, such as I had one child who liked to lick tongue, lick everything. So she would bite, would be sitting at, the, uh, you know, at a restaurant, she's chewing on the table. And then you turn around and she's chewing on the high chair and you're going, that's gross. And then as she got older, she liked to lick handrails. I mean, uh, isn't that disgusting? It's just, ugh. Just gross. And she would lick everything. You're going, oh my goodness, this is bad. Folly. You would never have thought, hey, stop licking the door. You never thought those words would come out of your mouth. Do you remember the days of the, the VCR, the v, VHS tapes? You know, it had that big opening. I had one child who liked to hide food. You ever have a kid that hides food everywhere? You're going, hey, we like food. We have food in the pantry. You don't have to hide food. They would hide crackers and cookies in the VCR to uh, just shove it in there. That's not your compartment. That's not your pantry. But man, it was a secret hideout, just shoving it in there. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's just natural. It's who they are. They're going to do crazy things. Now watch what it says. We don't really like this verse, but we need to talk about it, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Negative consequences. Consequences, positive and good, are important to the learning process. 
Matter of fact, consistent exposure to consequences removes foolishness. Let me say it again. Consistent exposure to consequences removes foolishness. Let me say it a different way. Consistent exposure to no consequences increases foolishness. Parents, grandparents, consequences are the way in which folly is either removed or it's increased. One of the hardest things to do as a parent is to allow our kids to feel the weight of consequences. Does that make sense? I hear teachers, one of the biggest problems that teachers have is parents that will come in and actually cause a problem by saying, my kid doesn't deserve that grade. But if your child didn't do the work, it wasn't the teacher giving the grade, it was who? It was your child by their, by their decisions and their choices. And when we as parents feel like it's our job to remove the consequences, what we have done is this. We've allowed for and established more foolishness to happen. It's your job to increase and to allow your child to feel the weight of the consequences. Now, let me make sure we understand this verse. Is it okay to to spank a kid? There can be times, there can be moments that, yes, it should should happen. It's very hard to reason with a two-year-old. You cannot have a full-on conversation. You can say no, you can move them, But to explain in depth who God is and all the problems of why you shouldn't lie, that's not really gonna happen at two, is it? But a little swat of the hand can stop stop the action very quickly. But if you're still spanking your kid at 16, there could be problems there. There needs to be maybe an evaluation of when and what the appropriate response is. As your kids get older, the spanking changes to just negative consequences, or positive consequences. So I wanna make sure we help and make sure we're very clear. You should never hit your child out of anger. So if you're angry because they just blew it, don't give your child the spanking at that time, please. You never hit a child out of anger and the way in which you do it should always be out of love. And if you spank a child, let me make sure we understand this. There always needs to be the time after the spanking where you come back and you give a positive touch You hug, you counsel, you love on, and you make sure you restore the relationship so that it's properly ready to go forward because it's your job to be guiding them towards God and not away from God. Does that make sense? Now, this is part of discipline. Let me show you one other verse in chapter 22. This other chapter 22, verse 17, it says intentionally learn. It talks about incline your ear and hear the works of the wise. Apply your heart to knowledge for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. If all of them are ready on your lips, that you trust, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Proverbs is a book that's written by a wise king, mostly by Solomon. And his job and his his reason for writing Proverbs is to give and pass on to the next generation, his kids, what it means to be wise, what it means to live correctly. And what he's doing here is he's leading and he says, it's about going after wisdom. Parents, what we're trying to do is to create wise kids. The Bible doesn't have a right and wrong for every situation, does it? There's a lot of things in the Bible 
but there's a lot of things that are left out that you're trying to figure out. Your goal is to teach your kids what it means to be wise, and there's discipline in it. Why? Wisdom is this, knowing what's right and doing what's right. That's simple. And if you don't have a black and white what is right and what is wrong, then you have to choose and you have to still learn to do what's right in that situation. Proverbs also has a few lists of other people. There's a fool in Proverbs. Who's the fool? It's a person who knows what's right and chooses what? Not to do it. I'm not gonna do what's right. I'm gonna walk away. I'm gonna run away. I don't want any part of it. But they are fools because they know what's right and they choose not to do it. A scoffer in the book of Proverbs is someone who does this. A scoffer who knows what's right, they don't like it, they choose to run away from it, but now they have moved to the next level where they make fun of and they laugh at and they mock at anybody who does. And parents, it's your job to know if your kids are using wisdom or if they're a fool or if they're being a scoffer. And it's your job to call them on it and then bring them back and say, part of what my job is, is to bring discipline into your life so that you no longer be a, you're no longer a scoffer, you're no longer a fool, but you move over here to wisdom and you learn to walk in it. So the question is, do kids actually listen? Do kids learn? Here's some wisdom, again, passed on from somebody who gave me an email and he said, hey, here's, here's what kids passed on at the end of a school year to the next class. And here's what, here's what some of them wrote. Patrick at age 10, here's what he wrote. Here's his wisdom, you ready? Never trust a dog to watch your food. It's a pretty smart boy right there. Hannah, age nine, she says, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer. <laughs> okay, Michael, he, he's a teenager, age 14. Here's, what he's, here's, here's his wisdom. He says, never tell your mom her diet's not working. <laughs> That's a smart boy right there. Randy, age nine. He says, stay away from prunes. His parents must be health crazy, I guess. Uh, Talia, she, age 11, here's what she says. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> it's pretty good. Don't let her brush your hair. Kids are learning. They're full of wisdom. They're catching what's going on. They're catching even what you don't think is happening. It's your job as a parent. It's your ability and your opportunity to set the direction by bringing discipline in. Here's the last one and we'll be almost finished. Deuteronomy chapter six. We've talked about this. I did an entire series on Deuteronomy 6 a couple years ago. So I'm not gonna redo it, but I'm just gonna make sure I lay the groundwork because Deuteronomy 6 is one of the premier passages on parenting and, and moving them to where God is calling your kids and how do you become a parent and how do you teach? How do you bring it to the next generation? Deuteronomy 6 starts off with what's called the Shema. And in verse four, it says, this is your primary focus. To hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Parents, and let me just exclude, even if you're not a parent today, your primary focus, my primary focus, you ready? Is to love God with all our hearts. That Command does not exclude anyone here. Well, he, that's in the Old Testament. Well, Jesus in the New Testament reaffirms it and says, this is the greatest commandment, to love God with what? 
all your heart, soul, and mind. This is your job and mine. It's to love God. It's our primary focus. Parents, you want kids? You want kids who love God? It starts with you. You cannot duplicate what you are not. You only reproduce what you are. It's a fact of all of nature. It's a fact of all agriculture. You only reproduce what you are. If you don't love God with all your heart, you will not have kids who love God with all their heart. And let me make sure we're real clear on this. Just because you brought your kids to church doesn't mean they're gonna be godly. What happens during the week, the way in which you love God during the week has a greater impact than just coming to church once a week. Now, what happens here once a week is that maybe you're sharpened and challenged so that you go out and you live differently. But what happens in the home during the week is what will be reproduced in your kids' lives. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Are you going after him? He continues. He says, now that you've got that correct, now that you know that's what you're supposed to do, and look what he begins to say. Setting the, child, the direction of your child's hearts is a daily task, verse 7. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your kids. What are you teaching? How to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. You're to teach your kids about God. You are purposefully teaching now. It's going to be diligent. It's going to be hard work. It's not going to be a one time and done. Just because you told your kids not to jump on the bed, does that mean you have to not ever repeat it? You have to repeat it ever so often, don't you? Because they forget. They have short memories. And we have short memories. So it's a diligent process. It's over and over and over again. Well, how do you do it? He says, take those predictable moments in the day and you incorporate God into those predictable moments. What are those predictable moments? He outlines them for us. You should talk about God when you what? When you sit in your house, when you have dinner, when you have breakfast, when you walk by the way, when you travel, when you lie down, when you go to sleep, and when you rise. Those predictable moments in the day. You know you're going to have time in which you eat together. You know there's going to be times in which you just have to get the kids up. You know there's going to be times in which you're putting the kids to bed. There's going to be times in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex that you have a captive audience. You have a child who's sitting next to you for the next 45 minutes. And instead of saying, yes, just play on the phone or yes, just watch a movie, you take advantage of that opportunity to engage your child and to bring God into the conversation and to identify and say, hey, let me help you interpret your day's events. Because it gets so easy to just say, hey, just get in the back, shut up, watch your movie, play on the phone, and we not talk to our kids. But if you're going to diligently teach your kids about God, maybe you're gonna watch Go Diego Go. Maybe you're gonna watch The Little Mermaid. Maybe you're gonna watch Monsters, Inc. Maybe you're going to end up and you move into the next genre. You move into the elementary years. You move into the high school years of college. You, you say, hey, I'm going to do something with them. I'm going to engage them in the fun. And then I'm going to bring God into the conversation. It's the daily. And then he finishes off and he says this. Verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is he talking about? Post 
the Bible. Post quotes in which bring honor and glory and attention to God. Post them around your house. Post them on the refrigerator. Post them in their rooms. Post them in their bedrooms. So they constantly are seeing God's word. Or they're constantly seeing a quote that brings a new God-honoring vision to their life. You can set a new atmosphere in your home by just posting or repeating quotes over and over again. Today is uh, my grandmother's birthday the one that you've been praying for. She's been battling cancer. And um, even grandparents can do this. When I call her or talk to her, when she sends cards, do you know what she begins to do? She first of all tells me she loves me. And then after that, she begins talking about God. And she begins talking about what God's doing in her life and how God's working. You know what she's doing? She's casting a vision for who God is in her life and how God's satisfying and fulfilling and she's bringing it, and she's posting quotes, and she's talking, and she's, she's writing cards. My mom posts quotes and writes things. We, we write things in their kids' lunch boxes. We post quotes on the refrigerator. We post them all over. I want my kids seeing it. Why? We repeat certain phrases like, do what's right, even when it's hard. If you want to be a good leader, you have to do what's right, even when nobody else is willing to stand with you. That's a good leader. If you want to, you want to actually do what's right, even when other people make fun of you, You do what's right, and you trust God with the consequences. I love that. You do what's right, and you just trust God with the consequences. And you begin, we begin to say all these things. You serve. How are you serving? And we begin asking questions consistently about how did they care for one another, treat others like you want to be treated. And we just repeat things over and over again so that they hear it, and they see it, and they're constantly putting it into their brain. You're laying the foundation. Post the quotes. I don't know what your quotes need to be. I don't know what your verses need to be. But when you understand the desires of your child's heart, then you can post the quotes that help guide and direct. Does that make sense? But if you don't know the desires of your kids' hearts, you can't ever start posting the right things to help guide them to where you're wanting them to go. And you're not wanting them to go anywhere else but to the Father. That's where you want them to go. You want their vision to be what God's vision is for their life. You can set and you can direct your child's heart. It starts by knowing their desires. It's going to take discipline and it's going to be a daily task. But you, as a parent, as a grandparent, can do it. 